it would be a mistake for me to not just recognize God's goodness and grace toward us this week as a church. For the first time ever, we had a soccer camp in partnership with FCA right here at Heritage Park. Uh, took some planning and some preparation, but it was exciting to see 21 uh, students, grades 2 through 7, show up, uh, most of which were not uh, a part of this congregation, and some of which uh, probably uh, had not heard the gospel ever before. And it was really neat as well to see some of the parents come and also stay and hear three clear presentations of Jesus and the gospel. And it was a good reminder for me, and maybe for you, even as we come out of this camp, why we are in North Syracuse in the first place. Why Renovation Church started nine years ago this month was because we felt called by Jesus to present the gospel to every man, woman, and child in the northern suburbs of this county. So here we are, continuing to press forward in those things. Can't say enough about our members and the team that we had that pulled that off, not to mention the cookout that we had yesterday. I'm going to conservatively guess we had about 80, 85 people show up, which is amazing, and I would say a good 55 to 60% of those people were people that are not part of this congregation. So what's that all about? We do the community cookout each year to connect with people in this neighborhood, and really that's what we saw take place. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? Even post-pandemic, people still want to get together, hang out, and eat eat uh, hamburgers. So we're going to continue to do that. That's our eighth time this year. We'll look forward to our ninth next year. Amen? Amen? Guys, this is the work we're doing, and you're a part of it, and it's just exciting to see. Good? Great. I got a question for you. Are you ready? We're going to kick this off with a question. What day significantly defines the way you live today? You'll see the pluralization of that word up there, because there are days. But if you could just think through days or day, what day or days significantly defines the way you live today? Was it the day you said, I do? Or the day you earned a major promotion at work. Or the day you welcomed a child into your family. Was it the day that you heard and responded to the gospel? Some of us haven't thought about that day in a while, huh? Do you remember the day you heard and responded to the gospel? Maybe... It was the day you heard you had cancer. Or the day you lost a loved one. Those kinds of days have a way of defining our day today, don't they? Don't they? Now listen, it's not just personal things, but also history. Where were you on August 6, 1991? Was it that day? that significantly defines the way you live today? Does anybody know what happened on August 6, 1991? If you don't know, now you know, right? The day the internet was made publicly accessible. Think that day changed your life? 
I figured I'd get an amen on that. There's one thing we're all like, amen, right? What about September 11th, 2011? What about March 15th, 2020? Which, I don't know if that's the exact day, but it felt like that was the lockdown day. What days, what day significantly defines the way that you live today? When you ask this question, our mind immediately goes to the past, doesn't it? We start to think about things in our past that defines the way we live today. But what about the future? What about a future day? Is there a future day that significantly defines the way that you live today? Today, I want to point us to a day that should significantly define the way that we live today. A day in the future. And that is the day of the return of Jesus Christ. That day should significantly define the way that we live today. But the question is how? How does this day significantly define the way we live today? And that's what Jesus speaks to us about in Matthew 24. Grab your Bibles. We're in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to read Matthew 24, verses 36 through 51. Matthew 24, 36 through 51. Feel free to follow along on the screen or read in your Bible. But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house broke, uh, let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the, wise, the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants, and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in the name 
of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts. Ready us today for the return of Christ. If we come today weary and exhausted, hopeless and despairing, or even distracted, O Lord, would you awaken us? Would you comfort us? Would you give us hope? We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. For 2,000 years, people have been trying to answer this question. When will Jesus return? 2,000 years. In the 2nd or 3rd century, a Roman clergyman calculated that Jesus would return by 500 A.D. Somehow he came up with this date based on the dimensions of Noah's Ark. All right. Then in the Middle Ages, Pope Innocent III took the number 618. Now, 618 was the day that uh, Islam was founded. So he took 618. And he added the number 666 to it, the number of the beast, to get 1284. 1284 as the day that Jesus would return. February 14th, 1835, Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon church, announced that Jesus would return within 56 years. So that's by 1891 if you're a mathematician. Maybe I got it wrong. We got engineers here. You can figure it out. 1891. 1988, Wisnant Edgar wrote the book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. Maybe that was because Syracuse lost to Indiana in 87. I don't know. Pretty frustrating time for Syracuse Orange fans. To give one final example, Harold Camping predicted the end of the world. He advertised it on his 55 radio stations and on 6,000 billboards. Judgment Day is coming, May 21, 2011. The Bible guarantees it. Yeah. After it didn't happen without apology, he just changed his date to October 21st, 2011 as the right date for Christ's return. 2,000 years. We've been asking the question, when will Jesus return? But here's the interesting thing. For 2,000 years, we've already known the answer to this question. Jesus told us in the opening verse. Here's the answer. When will Jesus return? Tell me. We don't know. No need for speculation and silly predictions. No need for some crazy arithmetic. We don't know, Jesus says. But concerning that day or hour, no one Knows not the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. Here's a wonderful truth to just anchor into your heart right now Jesus is returning, He will come again to judge the wicked, and He will raise up the dead, and He will save His people finally and fully. Jesus is coming back soon. Amen. That is central to our convictions as a church. We believe that Jesus said he would return, and he will indeed do it. He said it, right? Even the last few verses of the last book of the Bible. Surely, you can bet the farm on it. 
It's going to happen. Stake your life on it. I am coming soon. Amen. And so we see 36. No one knows. 42. For you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. When's the Lord coming back? Help me out. We don't know when he comes. Another way to say it. We don't know. So not knowing when it comes is likened to the days of Noah. And that's what Jesus says, right? For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He compares the days in which we are living to the days of Noah, where people were just living life unaware of what is to come. They're just living life. They're just doing their thing. They're living their life without reference to the second coming of Jesus, to the day in which he will return. They lived their life unaware, right? They were just marrying and giving in marriage. They were just eating and drinking. They were just doing their thing without reference to the judgment that was coming. And that's the world in which we live today. This world lives without reference to the coming Jesus who will come in judgment, unaware of His imminent return. They don't know. They don't expect it. They're living their life without reference to it. 40 and 41, I think, highlight this all the more, right? Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken. One will be left. They're just in the field doing their job doing what they ordinarily do, and an unexpected thing occurs. Verse 42, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one left, doing their thing, ordinary life. And then, out of nowhere, unexpected, Jesus will return, and he will come in judgment. These days are like the days of Noah, where people live their life just doing their thing, unaware of what is to come. We don't know. We don't know. It's certain, but the timing of it is unknown. Jesus will certainly return at an unknown time. That's what Jesus is teaching us. That's what we need to know about the timing of his return. Right? And in some ways, as we've said before, this highlights what Jesus has been focusing on in these chapters, in this discourse. Because the disciples asked, right, when will these things be? Chapter 24, verse 3. And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Give us a little insight. Help us to understand the news cycle a little bit, Jesus. And he's saying, no, this isn't about watching CNN or Fox News, and trying to interpret this or that, what's going on. Here's what you need to know. Jesus will return. It's certain. Jesus will return. It's soon. But it is coming at an unknown time. So what's to be focused on is being ready. What's to be focused on is not the timing of His return, but our life in preparation for his return. That's what Jesus has been saying time and time again, emphasizing this, that his primary concern is that we are ready, that we're concerned 
with our preparation, that we're concerned with living a life of faithfulness as we expect Him. So what does He say to us about that? We'll look at 42, right? What does He say in verse 42? He says, Therefore, because you don't know the timing, therefore, stay awake. Stay awake. He says it again in 43. Know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. Would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, verse 44, you must be ready. You must be awake. You must be ready. Are you awake this morning to the return of Jesus? Are you ready for the return of Jesus? That's what he's concerned about. It's interesting that Jesus talks about this thief in the night. And that's exactly what Paul refers to in Thessalonians, right? For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, His return, will come what? Like a thief in the night. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you awake? The soon, certain return of Jesus should call us away from what David Turner calls a nonchalant lifestyle. Listen to this quote. Disciples must not take up a nonchalant lifestyle that is inconsistent with Jesus' unexpected coming. Are you awake? Are you ready? Or are you walking through life with a nonchalant approach to the soon and certain return of Jesus? That word is like, I got so many memories of hearing that word. My grandfather, Big Walt, you know him, most of you do anyway, used to use that word all the time when he was critiquing my play in a sport. Big Walt was a super encouragement to me. But listen, one thing he would not put up with, being nonchalant. Very same word. So, you know, you know me. I'm a little moody, you know. I'm a little moody when I play ball, too. Or when I played ball, as a, right? Probably more fair way to put it. Sometimes I was, you know, just not in the mood. Just kind of nonchalant. In some way, he was saying, you weren't prepared to play today. You showed it on your face. You showed it uh, whenever uh, you didn't have the ball. You weren't moving without the ball. You showed it when you had the ball. You weren't aggressive to the basket. You settled for jump shots. You were nonchalant. To him, that was unacceptable. It's game day. This is everything. This big wall for you. You should approach the game with a certain amount of intentionality with a sense of urgency. You should be wide-eyed, ready for the ball. You should have a plan of attack against your defender. You should not be playing in a nonchalant way. 
I'm probably drawing the illustration out too far. The point is, many of us approach our walk with Jesus kind of ho-hum, whatever, nonchalant, right? And our life reflects it. He's saying disciples must not take up a nonchalant lifestyle that's inconsistent with Jesus' unexpected coming. The fact that we don't know the hour should ready us, should wake us up. And what Jesus is saying is this, always be ready for the return of the Lord. Always be ready for the soon and certain return of Jesus. But you may be asking, what does it look like to be ready? I think that's an important question. And the wonderful news is the next six verses or so give us some kind of insight into what it looks like to be ready. He goes on to say, he gives another parable, verse 45 through 51, of a parable that contrasts a faithful and wise servant and a wicked servant. That's what Jesus does when he teaches often in parables, is, is highlight something by contrasting two things. He's saying this, that faithful and wise servants know who their master is. They understand what has been entrusted to them. They receive their call with humility and a great sense of responsibility. They steward and they manage the resources of the master for the glory of the master. And they care for those that belong to the master's house. And they do all this in the hope of reward and blessing. That's what he says the faithful and wise servant does. He says, when the master returns, guess what? He's promoted, and he's blessed, and he's rewarded. But he goes on to show the contrast of the wicked servant. The wicked servant is one that hears what he's supposed to do, or she's supposed to do, and knows the responsibility that they have, but they assume that there's going to be a delay. They assume they've got all the time in the world. That in many ways, maybe he's never going to come back. Maybe this return is an irrelevant matter to my life. And so what the wicked servant does is he takes the master's resources. And he uses the master's resources for his or her own sinful pleasures. And he begins to mistreat the members of the master's household. And then out of nowhere, in an unexpected way, the master returns. And he finds the wicked servant unfaithful. And we understand this language to be strong language regarding judgment. Says he will cut him to pieces and throw him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The faithful and wise servant 
was prepared for the return of the master. The wicked servant was not prepared for the return of the master. So as Jesus teaches this, Jesus teaches this parable to his disciples, and we listen to it, we come to understand that this parable points us down the path of blessing and the perils of being unprepared. And it also highlights the truth that we're ready for the return of the Master as we give ourselves to faithful service to the Master's business. Are you ready for the return of the Master? You are so as you give yourself to faithful service to Christ. Your life is structured and prioritized in a way where you understand your responsibility. You know what God has entrusted to you. You understand that He's given you the care of His people. And He's called you to serve them and love them. It's basically turning yourself away from yourself. In orienting your life to the service of the Master by serving those of His household and his, your neighbors. So ready yourself for Christ's return. Approach life as a servant who embraces the call and responsibility with humility and with an intentionality to give yourself every day, every moment, every decision, every relationship, every dollar in your bank account, to give it all in service to the One who gave it to you in the first place. When we know that this life is temporary and fleeting, and that another life is fast approaching at the return of Christ, we leverage all that we have in this life for another by faithfully serving the, the Master and giving ourselves to His service. That's what Jesus is saying to us today. We're ready for the return as we give ourselves to faithful service to our Master, and His name is Jesus. Is that what your life is all about? You're ready. You're readying yourself. You're prepared. You've rejected a nonchalant approach to your Lord and His imminent return. Those ready for the return of the Lord give themselves to faithful service. So if you're here today and you've not done that, Jesus encourages you to turn from your selfish orientation and turn to Him and give yourself in faith to His kingdom priorities in this world. And as you do, you're ready. You stand ready. You're on high alert. And you've rejected a nonchalant lifestyle. I couldn't help but think about 
what does it mean to be ready for the Lord's return and actually kind of zoom out a little bit in the larger narrative of Scripture. Specific moments where Paul, or another New Testament author, encourages the redeemed of the Lord, the church of Jesus in a particular city, because you know he wrote these epistles, where he anchors a way of life in an expectation of Christ's return. And I want to just point out a few of those, if you will, in these last few moments of the message. Yes, those who are ready for the Lord's return are those who give themselves to faithful service. Jesus has made that clear. But I think also that those ready for the return of the Lord also live in light of that return with kingdom priorities in mind. And I want to lay out at least four of them as fast as I can. Number one, those ready for the return of the Lord pursue personal holiness. Pursue personal holiness. Where do you get that, Mace? What are you talking about? Listen to Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone. For the holiness, I'm sorry, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. He's saying if you're not holy, you won't see the Lord. When do we see the Lord? When He returns. 1 John. What an amazing thing to think about, Christian. This is your blessed hope. Titus talks about the blessed hope. The appearing of the Lord Jesus. John says that right now we don't know what we will be, but we know what we, will, what we will be when we see Him. For we know that when we see Him, we shall be like Him. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies Himself as He is pure. First John. When you see Him, you'll be like, He's holy. We're going to be holy. Knowing that we will be conformed fully to the holy image of the Lord Jesus Christ, even now, with that expectation in mind, we pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. Maybe you've heard me tell this story before, but I'll never forget the moment where my grandmother was sitting on her deathbed, looking me in the eyes and me approaching her face because I didn't want to see all this stuff around her. And I looked into her eyes and I said, and she said, why are you looking in my eyes? I said, because I want to see you, not this. And she said, you know, I've been thinking a lot about seeing. I said, what do you mean? Why seeing? Because I can't imagine seeing anything more beautiful than Jesus. That's what I've been thinking about. See, she knew the incomparable beauty and perfection and holiness of Christ. Seeing Him was her great hope. And because of that hope, we strive for peace and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Is there an area of your life where you are nonchalant in reference to your holiness? Maybe showing a lack of gratitude and an inappropriate response to grace thinking your sin doesn't matter because 
Jesus has saved you. No, Jesus has saved you. That means your sin does matter. So pursue holiness and ready yourself for the return of the Lord. Number two, live on mission. Engage in evangelism. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. When will that take place? Herb, you're crushing it today. When he comes, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. What does he say? For we must all appear there. Why? So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And what does that propel Paul to do? Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Because of the return of Jesus and people standing before Him in judgment, we take that uncomfortable step, that awkward moment, and take that step of faith and trust in the power of the Word and the Spirit to change a life. And we give our lives to living on mission. We preach the Gospel, people. You're ready for the Lord. It's return if you're doing the work of an evangelist. I'm not talking about Billy G., Hundreds of thousands of people. There may just be one person in your life that is close to you that God has broken your heart for. Maybe that neighbor next door that that dog barks all night long and you want to just go crazy. But the Lord's barking all night. This person needs Jesus. Talk to him. Build a relationship with them. We're ready for the Lord's return if we live on mission. We've rejected a nonchalant lifestyle about Judgment Day when we live on mission. Amen? Number three, regular exhortation. One anothering in the body. Encouraging one another. You say, well, you know, that's a lot. Hey, man, the Lord's going to return. That's a lot. Hebrews 3, take care, brothers. Don't be nonchalant, brothers. Take care, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Could there be even the subtlest, smallest measure of an evil, unbelieving heart welling up inside anyone in this congregation right now? Oh, absolutely not, man. We're good. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart. What's that going to Leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day. Every day. That seems like a lot. Jesus is coming back. That's going to be a lot. Are you ready? Are your fellow brothers and sisters in this congregation ready? Your life is structured to ensure they're ready. How do you help them ready themselves? You exhort them every day. You gospel them every day. You share scripture with them every day. You pray with them every day. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. It's called today, by the way. This is today. It's a way to... Divide the times. This is today. There will be another day, the day of the Lord, the day of his return. This is today. As long as it's today, give yourself to those things. Exhort one another every day. Get yourself in a discipling relationship. Show up to missional community. Text each other. Meet at Starbucks or Kubal or I go to Peaks. Go to Peaks 
wherever you go, get in each other's lives and save each other from the deceitfulness of sin. Amen? Number four, gather for worship. Oh, here he goes. When we come, this is a foreshadow of heaven, guys, of what it's like to be in the presence of Jesus. But Hebrews tells us this. We're not just making this stuff up to pad seats and numbers for metrics, for our denomination to throw it in their, in their counting measures. This is about who you are and your salvation. This is about the return of Jesus. Hebrews 10, 24-25, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Tell me we don't live in the days where it is the habit of some to neglect meeting together in corporate worship. It is the days of Noah. Eating, drinking, giving in marriage, doing whatever, swinging the club. He ain't coming back. He says this, don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's an encouraging thing to be present with your brothers and sisters on a Sunday morning, amen? It's a discouraging thing for your brothers and sisters when you're not with them on a Sunday morning. This is true. When they don't hear your voice singing, it discourages them. Maybe in subtle ways that they don't even know. But man, when we're together singing and claiming the promises of God together, we are preparing for the day when Jesus returns. We are singing our hope and, and clinging to that together. There is nothing better to do on Sunday than that. I'll move on. Eval evaluate your life and heart. Are, you, are these constant priorities for you? If they are, you're ready or readying yourself. If they're not, you question, am I ready? I'm not saying you're not. You should evaluate your life and say, am I really ready for the return of Jesus? If I'm not pursuing holiness, if I'm not Encouraging my brothers and sisters. If my life is not structured to live on mission, if I keep ignoring my neighbor time and time again, and if I don't come to church regularly every single week, am I ready? What day significantly defines the way you live today? Is it the return of Jesus? We can look back at the cross. That defines us. We can look back at the resurrection. That defines us. Amen? We can look back the day we heard and responded to the gospel. Man, that day defines us. We can look back. But my encouragement to you today is to look ahead. Look forward to the return of Jesus. Always be ready for the soon and certain return of Christ. As Martin Luther said, preach and live. As if Jesus was crucified yesterday, rose from the dead today, and is returning tomorrow. Basically, Jesus defines everything about our lives. Right? That's what he's calling us to. But the focus today is the second coming shaping everything. Always be ready for the soon 
and certain return of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this word. We praise you for the assurance and also the warning. I pray that your spirit would be at work in us, drawing us to faith and repentance in ways that we've been nonchalant or even lack faith altogether. I pray that you would quicken within us a desire to live in an intentional way, to be ready and awake, to walk as children of the light in a dark day, clinging to the hope of the return of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Lord, strengthen your people and uh, fill them with your spirit and apply these words to our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.